everyone. Welcome back to the Where Your Feet Take You podcast. I'm Kayla Bowker here with the amazing co-host Aaron Oliphant. And we come to you approximately every week talking triathlon and all things in regards to triathlon life, the balance of training, coaching, racing, you name it. We try our best to cover it and provide you guys with content that just shares our passion for the sport. We answer your questions, we share race stories, and share our journey over the years that we've experienced as endurance athletes, triathletes, and coaches. This week, we've got quite a few fun questions, so I'm excited to answer a bunch of these. But first off, Erin, how's the week been? Want to help support the podcast? Now you can by joining the Where If You Take You community via Patreon. In the community, you'll get early access to guest episodes and three to four mini episodes throughout the month, along with more. It is an ever-evolving community in which we hope to bring more triathlon news, more triathlon support, and just community in general while we continue to share our passion and love for the sport that we all participate in. Your support goes a long ways to help supporting the podcast and for us to be able to bring you more content and continue to share our passion and love for the support. You can head over to wherefeettakeyou.com and find the link on that website, or you can check the show notes. Again, your support goes a long ways to helping support the podcast. I know I've said support a lot here, but that's the way that it goes. And I want to thank you ahead of time for being a loyal listener and loyal subscriber to the podcast. Okay, back to the show. I'm exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to getting back to training. Like, especially my legs. Like, even though I wasn't training in that sense of the word last week, I did a lot of skiing, and my legs are feeling that cumulative fatigue as well as just getting back to it. Um, And me being dumb, I went back and really looked at the calories I consumed on my bike ride yesterday, and it was not enough. And I definitely felt that today. (laughs) Yeah, I think I actually commented to, like, because you you mentioned that hey you wish you like your heart rate had not gone so high and I think my one of my comments was double check your calories because that can cause uh yeah so uh, whatever I'm trying to say but for listeners um, I was uh it was a three hour ride with six by four minutes hard in the middle of it um and I only consumed about forty three grams of carbs per hour. Which would oh, have been gosh. close to enough if it was just a zone two ride, no, um, I mean but it was not. So wouldn't have even been close to enough if it was a zone two ride. Yeah. <laughs> I I'm gonna disagree. I'm gonna disagree with you <laughs> on that one. <laughs> so I needed double that, um, and I definitely felt it in my run today. Yeah, and so I think that's a great point that we can mention really quick. Like that is one of the main reasons why it's important to fuel normally even during sessions like because exactly what you just said you felt it today right we have to remember that not only are we feeling that session but we're also having usually having to do a session the next day or maybe you have a second session later that day like or maybe you have a third or who knows whatever your schedule looks like what you do in that session isn't necessarily even for that one so remembering to kind of fuel across the board is really important. Um, yeah. But everything looks good. It looks like you're yeah. feeling good so far. So, yeah, welcome back to training um, and time to get going for Ironman Texas. It, it, it feels – everything feels awful 
Like, it just does not yes, feel natural sense. right now, but that <laughs> is okay. We're pushing through that feeling and just yeah. trust in the process right now. Well, there is a reason your week looks kind of the way that it did, um, as it was a little bit, besides like the hard efforts, which were meant, they, like you mentioned in your post, like it was all based off of RPE, right? There was no specific targets. And a lot of that mm-hmm. was on purpose because we don't, you you had, you know, had a week of skiing and we don't want to just throw you into like crazy stuff because all that's going to do is potentially get you sick or whatever. Um, so yeah. Um, what did you think about the race announcements for the T100 series? PTO it's exciting. Series. Yeah. It's exciting for those athletes for sure. Um, I think it's weird they didn't announce a city for California, but I guess they still have five months to announce. Did that. you listen? Did you listen to the Pro Tri News episode? No. What city is it in? Well, the, the reason they haven't announced it is because they haven't fully locked in like road closures. Oh, and okay. They didn't want to announce it because if it falls through, they have to like pivot and try to find a new city for that race. Got it. Yeah. Got Which it. I guess is fair and understandable. Yeah. Yeah. Though I'm guessing it's he's he accidentally said something about like Southern California, so I'm pretty sure it's in Southern California. That would have been my guess anyway. So yeah. um no, I think it's really exciting. I am excited that some of the races will have the hundred K distance for age group. Um I think technically all of them are supposed to, or some form. Yeah, I think race. some of them only have the standard distance. Gotcha. Um, they're very unclear what the age group stuff looks like right now. Yeah. Um, but I know I think it's Vegas, Dubai, Ibiza, maybe. Mm-hmm. Like those, there's like four cities I think that have the hundred k distance. Um, but anyway, definitely gonna do one of those, and I'm nice. super excited about it. <laughs> Yeah, I know. I think I, well, when the Vegas one went up, I just sent you that message like really quickly, like get on the yeah. list for this because <laughs> it's in a perfect time frame for you. And it's, um, looks like a cool venue. I mean, like Las Vegas is a cool spot and <clears throat> yeah, a lot of really cool stuff going on with that. So yeah. And I just, I think that would be a very good distance for me. So yes, um, agreed. It's exciting. It's exciting about the pros. The one thing I will say, like, I saw um, Lucy Charles make a post today, like, explaining why she had to commit, why she committed to the 100K and, like, that people were bashing her about. Well, and, like, making her seem like she was bashing Iron Man. I thought that was insane. I can't believe people are, like, mad about it. I think so stupid. This 100K thing is, or, like, just the PTO in general is great for the sport. And, yeah, there's going to be some athletes who focus on the PTO race. There will be some athletes who focus on the Ironman race. Like, I think it's great that there's different distances that fit each individual. Like, I come from the swimming background, and there's multiple different – I think there's, like, 12 different events in swimming. Um, so I think it's awesome that there's these different distances. And especially when we look at Lucy Charles, she just won Ironman world champs. And to me, like that's been, her, <coughs> or like when I look at it, that's been her goal. She accomplished that goal. Now she's challenging herself in a new way. And like, I feel like I'd have that similar 
attitude. Like she gets to race the best in the world now at a different distance and have this new goal and this new challenge. And I just think it's insane that people are bashing others for making the decision to join the PTO. Well, and like making her out to be this scapegoat against the Iron Man brand. Like, yeah, nobody who cares. Guys, get a grip. For goodness sakes, like she's not choosing Iron Man over T100. She's choosing herself. Like what fits her goals for this year? And it, it doesn't mean that she doesn't believe that Nice World Championships is a good world championships. It just means that this is something that she wants to do. Like, who cares? Like, it made me kind of sad that she had to even make that announcement and to like explain herself because people are so like divide. I don't even know, not divided, but just so weird about things. Like, T one hundred is competing against Iron Man, and Iron Man's competing. Like, you guys, it's all good for the sport. It's good to have so good for the sport. So good for the sport. Yeah. And there's still going to be people who do long court. Iron Man's not going anywhere. No. Like, Iron Man is super into the age group athletes way more than at least the PTO is at this moment. Like, Iron Man's still going to exist. We don't have to worry about that. There's still going to be athletes who primarily focus on the Iron Man distance. Patrick Um, Lana. Yep. Lionel Sanders. Yeah. They they chose not to do their... Um, I mean, you could even look at, like, honestly, this sounds silly, but, like, Christian Blumenfeld, he's going Olympics and Kona, because those are his, he turned down T-100. So, you know, it's not one or the other. It's just taking a look at your opportunities and making a decision for you as the athlete. And it allows these athletes who do want to do the PTO to have like a guaranteed income, which I think is great for athletes in this sport. I mean, mm-hmm. I know you get that through some of your sponsorships, but I think just to have well, that extra they money. Might. Yeah, they might. <laughs> <laughs> they might, but yeah, the rest of us don't. <laughs> no, I think if you're top 20, you probably have a little bit of guaranteed, yes. but um. Yeah. I don't know. I'm excited to watch it. The fact that like the top 20 women in the world committed to it, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. I obviously, I ride a coup. I'm part of their next gen team. Um, Enrico Bo- Bogan, who Bojan, some foreign, I don't know how to pronounce foreign names at all. Um, <laughs> but Rico used to be a next gen athlete before he signed his professional contract with coup and he got contracted to the PTO this year. So I'm super excited for coup as well and the brand because I just love the founders so much. I think they're the best people in the world. So having Ku have that visibility now with Rico on the PTO, I'm excited for Rico. I'm excited for Ku. I think it's yeah. just going to be so much fun to watch. Um, yeah. yeah. My only concern being one of the professionals that has dreams of these things is it's a very – and the Sam Renouf talked about it not wanting to be a clo- – and w- we won't talk about this forever, but it's just a cool topic. But um, – about it being a close, not wanting it to be a closed circuit, but it feels like a very closed circuit in that the only way that you can even remotely get into it is to happen chance, get a wild card slot and then do really, really well. And then maybe get another wild card slot. And then maybe the next year after that, you get a hot shot slot. So like, it's like once you're in, you're in and it's kind of like the good old boys club. And so I really hope that doesn't happen. 
Yeah. Because that's not what the sport needs. The sport needs opportunity for people to be able to grow. Um, that's my only one concern with it. But from like a watching it and stuff like that side, I think it's exciting. Yeah. I think it has a lot of potential. So. And I think the PTO generally cares about the professional triathletes. So I think they're going to do what they can to support the professional field as a full mm-hmm. while trying to grow the TV spectacle of triathlon. Yeah. Yeah. So it's exciting. I think a lot coming on in the world of triathlon right now. Racing popping up real soon and starting to get really exciting. So I think it's a exciting venue for everybody, age groupers and pros alike. It should be uh, just a really cool year to be a part of. So, um, yeah, that's kind of where we're at with, with that, but, um, awesome. Well, should we dive into some questions? Let's do it. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we had some fun questions. Um, and, uh, Aaron was given a question uh, that had a lot to do with kind of the trainer and I'm going to have you read it or talk about it really quick, the question, and then we'll answer it. So, okay. Um, basically in short, the question was asking our opinions on riding a different bike on the trainer first outside and whether it's okay to use your non-race bike on the trainer and then only use your race bike when you're outside. Yeah. Um, and it's a great Um, question. I do this as of now. Um, yeah, I have my Cervelo set up on the trainer right now and I ride my coup outside. Um, I think my one piece with that is that there is no right or wrong answer to this. Yeah. Cause there's not, there is no benefit to doing one or the other. There's no benefit to having a separate bike specifically for the trainer. And there's no benefit to not, I guess. I know, well, I, I think I think it, there but. are I think there's pros and cons. Like for me personally, I hate taking my bike off the trainer and putting my bike back on the trainer. So the fact right now that I have a bike that just hang out hangs out on the trainer and that I can just get on it when I want to do a trainer session is very ideal to me. Um, however, however, I'm going to, I'm going to specify one thing in here. Erin has the ability to ride outside a lot. That's what I was about because to say. of where <laughs> she lives and her geometry on the Chevello and the coup are very different. And I yeah. think that's something you have to be very careful of. If you are someone who is going to be stuck inside a lot, I would lean towards being on a bike that your geometry is similar or cl- pretty damn close. Because then, one, you get used to it, you're using the appropriate muscles. If the geometry of one, like, for example, the geometry of Aaron Cervelo is not a good fit for her. It causes niggles. It, it's just not comfortable. So if you're in that situation, like, you need to make, I would put your race, the one that is better for you on the trainer. Yeah. And the reason, and as Kayla said, I ride outside a lot. I maybe do one ses- trainer session a week, if that. Um, I go outside a lot and like part of it, I have a, not only is the weather nice in Arizona, I have a path right outside my front door that I can go do intervals on without hitting a light. And that's yeah. pretty flat and consistent. Um, so I really don't ride the trainer that much. And when I do, it's usually specific intervals where I'm 
sitting up a lot too, mm-hmm. so I'm not staying in arrow. So yeah, I reduce that geometry stuff. Issue. Um, but mm-hmm. I do think if you have bikes that fit you differently, or even um, for people who have a road bike on their trainer and a TT bike outside, but who live in a cold place who they can't get outside to ride, you definitely should put the bike you're going to be racing on on the trainer, yes. at least in the winter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, or at minimum, at least then if you're someone who does not like to ride their TT bike on the trainer or anything along those lines, I'd say, what do you think? Like eight weeks out from your key race, no matter what, you should switch to be riding your race bike more than your non-race bike just to be able to get that specificity. Yeah, I think eight weeks is a good time frame. And I know... A lot of the reason I haven't made the switch is because I've been too lazy to order the parts to convert my trainer from a Ultegra Shimano setup to a SRAM 12-speed setup. Um, but that's something that if I was more concerned about, if I w- didn't have the ability to ride outside all the time, I would probably order that stuff. Yeah. So like for me, I don't think I ride... it's that difficult. No, it's not. I did I'm it myself. Just... Um, <laughs> it's actually pretty easy. Uh, yeah. I did have to I did have to Google like YouTube video it, but there was a great YouTube video online if you just there's plenty of those. Um but I ride my race bike on the trainer. Always have. I've always ridden the same. I I transition it on and off. Sometimes every other day because I ride five to six days a week. I don't have the ability to ride outside all the time on those days just due to life and time. And I just ride my race bike on the trainer. Um Good trainers, especially now, if you have, and I think this person had a Wahoo kicker that brought in, they are great for, it's a direct drive, so it's not going to ruin your wheel, it's not going to ruin your tire, um, and you're not going to affect the trainer, or sorry, affect the bike, like you're not going to risk cracking it, like none of us can put out enough power <laughs> to risk yeah. our bike being on the trainer. Um, I think they've even done like studies of like some of the best like track people in the world don't even risk the uh, integrity of the trainer um so the carbon's come a long way yes carbon has come a long way that's kind of an old myth if you are riding on the trainer make sure you're putting towels kind of over the areas you're sweating because what can happen is your sweat can drip into like the screws and other components and that can cause erosion on the inside of the bike. So that's the one thing I would be careful of is make sure you're not dripping sweat on your nice TT bike. hundred percent. Yep. hundred percent agreed. Plus you need something to, I don't know about anybody else, but I'm such a heavy sweater on the trainer that I need something to mop up the sweat. <laughs> so. I got a fan. I got a fan Ooh. for the trainer. <laughs> there you go. That'll make the trainer situation a lot better. Yeah. <laughs> um, With that, there was kind of a second question in regards to, like, how does indoor versus outdoor biking compare? Mm -hmm. Um, And, I mean, indoor is harder (laughs) in in reality, not in reality, but it feels harder. I like to use indoor training for really specific intervals that you're doing because you don't have to worry about anything else. And like you said, that's kind of when you have to use, like, really sharp, intense stuff. Like, it's very focused. You can really focus on just hitting the effort, hitting the interval, um, and getting a really good structured session in. 
compared to whereas outside, maybe it can get a little bit harder when you're managing terrain and it's harder, you know, if you've got very specific intervals, sometimes that can get, you know, harder. Um, but honestly, I've had athletes that have trained for full Ironmans a hundred percent on the trainer. I don't necessarily think that that's the way that you should do it. I believe very strongly in getting outside because you need to be comfortable riding outside. You need to be comfortable riding in elements. You need to understand how your bike responds to gravel and, and, and little bumps in the road and, and bike handling. But sometimes that's the way life is and you can still get a very good uh, training uh, build 100% on the trainer if you have to. Yeah. And I will say if you are solely using the trainer to train, pay attention to what the race course looks like that you're doing and kind of have an idea of how much of that you're going to be spending in arrow. Um, because yeah. I know on the trainer, a lot of the times you have the tendency to get out of arrow a lot more than you would outside riding. Um, but if you're doing a race like Ironman Texas, where you're going to be spending almost 112 miles fully in arrow, it's important to get your body used to being in arrow for extended periods of time. Yeah, that's a really good point. 100%. So I don't know. I think ideally, if you're going to kind of mix the two and say you're somebody who rides three days a week, at least once of those, if you can get out. And obviously, in the winter, that's a different story. But in the, you know, the main summer months when most of us can, can get outside, if you can get outside at least once a week, it, it just yeah. really pays dividends for your biking and your confidence yeah. and your comfort on the bike. And if there's bike handling things that you're scared of, even just plow and salt your driveway and get out yeah. and practice making turns in your driveway. Like right now, I'm a bit hesitant with my U-turns because I fell doing one um and the way my bikes work it is designed specifically as a triathlon bike so it goes straight and fast but the turn radius isn't as good so before Ironman Texas I'm definitely going to spend some time work even though there's only like four U-turns in that race yeah I'm going to work on doing them because that definitely slowed me down at Indian Wells yeah and that would at Texas too I mean there's four yeah that's a good amount and you know so yeah. Not Arizona 70.3 amount, which doesn't exist anymore, but no, <laughs> for <which is> something. <laughs> but yeah, there's definitely a few. Awesome. Um, all right. Um, so kind of talking about, right, we're talking about Ironman Texas. So we had um, someone write in saying that they just signed up for their very first Ironman. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. You're going to fall in love with it. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> um. So for those of you that maybe are not, you know, new to triathlon listening to this, a full distance Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim, a 112 mile bike, and a 26.2 mile run. I know that 99.5% of you already know that, but hey, just in case we get somebody listening that does not do triathlon. Um, And she was wondering, what is our number one tips for training for a full Ironman? Or just what do we have for tips in general? Racing, training, I think we could cover a couple pieces on that celebrate the process along the way yeah Um, enjoy the process yeah training for a full Ironman is a lot of time um and I think it's important to celebrate the sessions that you feel like you've done well throughout the journey to get to that full Ironman and be proud of yourself for the journey that it took just to get to the start line of the race yeah, 100%. Because it's long. 
And there's going to be a lot of days where you don't want to. But finding kind of whether it's gratitude or joy or whatever you want to call it within each session just makes the process a lot better across the board. Agreed. Um, What's your biggest tip? Your nutrition. Ah, Practice nutrition. It is, it will make or break your day. And it can make, not even just make or break, but it can make your day fun or not fun. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, 100% yeah. can. So, you know, practice getting in the right amount of carbohydrates. Practice with timing that you need for it. Like, are you somebody that needs to set a reminder? Are you somebody that's like, okay, every hour I have to finish this bottle? Like, practice it and practice it on your long rides as you would in a race. Because you need to get your body used to it. You need to train your body to be able to absorb the carbohydrates. And on top, you just got to understand it. How's your body going to respond? Because if you don't practice it and then you go into the race being like, I'm going to consume 100 grams of carbohydrates every hour, great. You may feel fine, but there's also the potential the time you hit the run, your body has not figured out how to consume this and you're going to shit yourself the entire time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, that's so true. Very true. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so really practice your nutrition. It is absolutely key. Um, and it will make the process, like Erin said about earlier, like she felt the struggle of not nailing her nutrition on her bike in her run today. Like it'll make the whole process more enjoyable because you have more energy across the board. Um, and then when it comes to race day, (laughs) really just take all that energy in like on the run course high five the kids that are sticking their hand out for you enjoy that red carpet finish line when you get there you only have one first iron yeah. man and i think the atmosphere is really special so just take it all in i always tell athletes and i think sometimes it goes the wrong like i always have to say like hey this doesn't mean that you can't have goals and like outcomes that you want to achieve from your first iron man um but at the same time, like sometimes your very first one, like let yourself be surprised by it yeah. rather than be like, I have to podium or, you know, you have those and have those carrots and have those goals that help you set the actions that you want to do. But allow yourself to be surprised and allow yourself to experience it because it really, yeah, the first one, you will always remember your first Ironman. I do. And my first Ironman was in 2016, yeah. like almost 10 years ago now. Like, eight but i mean it was eight but still like that's a long time and i remember i like, remember every detail on my first i mean it was only two years ago but i still yeah, remember it i all. i remember so many details about my first the first one compared to other ones that i've done where i don't remember yeah. as much of it they're kind of yeah. a blur um I mean, I'm so. going back to ironman texas because like i really did i struggled on that run course a lot i overdid the bike on that day um but like i remember how much energy just taking in hippie hollow gave me on the run and like i can't wait to take that all in again especially when it's your first one it just makes it so much better when you take yeah, in all that energy ironman arizona is one of my favorite races because the first time i was there it was it was my first race my first ironman and not my first race, my first Ironman. And it was awesome and special. And to this day, I still like remember, I remember crossing the finish line. I remember, I remember the swim. I remember the bike. Um, I remember all the pieces. So really enjoy it. Like soak it all in. You'll have more fun with it. 
um, rather than forcing yourself to have like very specific goals that you're trying to achieve. Agreed. Awesome. Okay. Um, so, uh, what the next question is, what, when it does order of training in training peaks matter, meaning, and matters probably not the best word, but meaning when your coach puts in, like you have a swim and a run, do you have to do them in triathlon order? Do you have to swim and run or swim and bike? Or can you do them in whatever order that works for your schedule? And the answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Um, I think, like, when they're booked the same day, do them, unless it says brick on there, which yes. obviously you're supposed to do the bike, then the run, um, you can really do them in whatever order works best for your schedule. Um, what I will say, though, is if... Don't try and minimize, especially as the race gets closer, switching days you're doing sessions because that can be very intentional. Like where a coach puts your tempo sessions versus your endurance sessions versus your speed work sessions. Those are all set very intentionally. So I do recommend, unless you have that knowledge base, reaching out to your coach before making those changes. Yeah. And asking to confirm like, hey, can does it make sense to... Um, like I had an athlete today who actually asked that same question. She said, can I move my bike and flip my bike and swim? And I actually had to go in, I went and looked because I thought I had programmed a very specific bike that was going to basically be an opener, like opener to the next day's bike and didn't, didn't end up being that way, but that does happen. And those are important things. Like that's why you have a coach to help you to maneuver around those things. Um, I would add in there that the one thing that you really should do is be able to under kind of look at your program and understand like, Hey, which piece do I need to, um, prioritize maybe like, you know, if you have a really hard run session, then maybe you do do that session first because you want to be a little bit more fresh. You want to execute it. And then maybe like, so maybe you do have, maybe you have three sessions in a day. You know, I know a lot of people that listen to this probably don't, but sometimes we do. And you have a really hard run session and then you know maybe a tempo swim and a recovery bike style look. Well, <clears throat> even though maybe you often swim in the mornings, maybe it makes more sense for you to do the run first when you're a little bit fresher, have a little bit more energy, don't have the fatigue from any of the other sessions. So kind of looking at like also like what makes the most sense for you. So like, for example, on Sat Sunday coming up, I have a very long swim and a long run. Now, I am very specifically going to do that swim first because I know that if I do that long run, I will have depleted myself to a point where I won't be able to recoup enough calories to execute a long swim. And so I'm I'm purposely going to do the swim first no matter what, just because I know that I won't be able to execute it. In that situation, I would do the same thing, but for a completely different reason. I can swim, and I will get tired during the swim, and it will feel hard while I'm doing it and whatever. But it doesn't create like a ton of fatigue for me. But instead, I hate running first. So whenever I have something, I always like to do the other workout before the run, even though my run's my focus, but because I feel like it warms up my body. 
more yeah. and I feel more ready to do the run session because um, I do struggle to feel like I'm warmed up for the run. Yeah. So knowing your body and knowing, hey, yeah. I do better when X happens. Um, but then there may be times, again, there may, this is, you know, yeah, where, where your coach should specia- specify yeah. this. Like I've had plenty of times where I've said, I want you, I've, I've had ish times where I've said, I want this bike and then I want four hours before you do X or we're doing these two runs and I want this run first and this run second. Um, but your coach should specify that to make that clear for you. It's just when there's just no specification, if you just have like a swim, a bike and a run workout, like as long as it doesn't say those specificities, do what works for you and whatever type of structure kind of works best. Um, yep. And if you don't know, ask your coach. They'll yep. help you. Your they coach should. is here to help. Yeah. Um, I think we had a question on bike saddles and pain that comes along with bike saddles, um, and what we do about that and how we go about it. What kind of pain? What did the person specify? Like they have saddle sores, numbness, uh, pain in the nether regions. Okay. Um, well, a lot of that can come from a bike fit. Yes. And a good bike fit can help with that. There are different types of bike fits, but if you go to a really good one, for example, like Psychological in Scottsdale, Arizona, um, they have a ton of different saddles you can try during your fit, and most of them have a 30-day like guarantee on them. Mm-hmm. So, for example, I tried one saddle when I was getting my bike fit. I thought it felt good while I was on there for 20 minutes. But after a two hour session, I was like, Oh my God, I hate this saddle so much. And I took it back and tried a new one and got a new one. And now I love it. Um, But unfortunately saddles tend to be a lot of trial and error, but Kayla, you have the buy saddle that you can adjust. How do you like that? How'd you find where to like put it that fits you well? I love the buy saddle. So I've been riding buy saddle for like four ish years now, I think maybe longer. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, and I tried a different saddle last year, um, just cause I was in need of a new one. And I was like, well, I'm gonna try something different. I literally rode for a week and I was like, this is, this is horrible. And what immediately went back to the buy saddle and then had no, no issues. I mean, at the end of the day, like you ride for five or six hours, you're going to have a little bit of discomfort. I think everybody does. I know I do. Um, mm-hmm. But I do like the buy saddle because it is a little, it is adjustable to fit you. Um, and so you do so, you can do so by a lot of different ways. But the nice thing is they describe it by doing a, um, you like measure where your sit bones are and then you kind of put them based off of that. Um and you can kind of adjust, like, is the nose going to be more closed? Is it going to be more open based off of where your sit bones are? And then also what kind of feels comfortable. Um, so I personally love the buy saddle. Um, it was, again, a trial and error kind of thing that I found it and been riding them for about four years now. Once you find a saddle, like, stick with it. <laughs> stick with yeah. it. Um, but the key also for me has been really good bike fits to get me into a position where I am more comfortable. Um, and another thing that also helps is nice bike chamois uh, on your um, bibs or anything like that. Yeah. Um, 
I really do think the Trace Pinos ones are nice. I'm not sponsored by them. I'm uh, on their team, they're but awesome. I'm not sponsored, and I love the yeah. Trace Pinos bibs so much. I mean, I've been wearing, I've been riding Trace Pinos for as long as she's been in Inception, and yep. never found a nicer chamois, personally. Um, so I've tried a yeah, bunch but- of the other big ones, and I just don't like them as much. Mm-hmm. I actually have been meaning to post them on Try and Sell It, because I just never wear them. They're just sitting in my drawer. Yeah. So bike saddles, I think our number one piece is one, really get a good bike fit. And two, you definitely have a little bit of trial and error. Um, chamois cream can help a lot of people. Um, it just kind of helps with friction, which, pre- you know, pre- can prevent chafing and saddle sores. Um, yeah. And um, yeah. I think when you're looking for the bike fit, if you can find a place that has the like, pressurized saddle system that can show you like how much pressure you're putting mm-hmm. in the areas um yeah because that can tell you when you're doing your bike fit like what saddles to avoid if it's like specifically pinpointing where you're already experiencing pain yeah. is good and then my other tip is just because you have pain going softer like i think a lot of people think like oh i have pain i need a softer saddle oh yeah i don't necessarily. think that is a good idea um yeah a lot of times softer saddles are worse because it just creates more movement yeah yeah i actually so buy saddle just came out with their new 3d printed one and it's not quite as soft and i actually like it more than their previous saddle um and it's quote unquote harder it's still kind of squishy but it is again quote unquote harder um and it's more comfortable so yeah softer isn't always better because oftentimes there's more like you said, there's more give, there's more movement, and um, they compress a lot faster. So yeah, maybe you start out in a good position, but then you're going to need a new one in like six months, because if you ride enough, it's going to compress, and then it may not feel good. Yeah. So saddles are hard. You could easily spend your entire career trying to find a saddle, <laughs> potentially. Like, you yeah. really could. So, um, awesome. Okay. I want to go over a topic because I was listening to the Triathlon Life podcast and they were talking about, someone wrote in a question about being hungry when they woke up. And this is like, was I don't know why it, I want really want to talk about it because mostly because to me, this is a really key piece of you, the person. And I'm like, I'm a worst offender of this. It's actually something I learned last year that. Most of the time, if you're really hungry when you wake up, you 100% underfueled, like really hungry. Like everybody's hungry when they wake up, right? For the most part, um, unless you overly stuff yourself, especially for what we're doing, right? Maybe not mm-hmm. just day-to-day life, but for what we're doing where we're training 10 hours a week, 12 hours a week, 15 plus, etc. Um, and but if you're really, really hungry when you wake up and you have a headache because of it, if you maybe feel dizzy, lethargic, you are underfueling your sessions, you're underfueling your whole entire day. And basically what is happening, and I know this from experience because I, one, have an issue with it. I, my body is, has a tendency to go into basically a catabolic state. I get really low blood sugar at night and I go into a catabolic state. <laughs> and 
I, my body does not recover. Like it starts eating its muscles. Like these are all the things that can happen. And then you're going to start risking a whole bunch of other pieces. So if you are really, really hungry when you wake up, a couple of things that I really think you should look at is one, how are you feeling during your sessions? Two, are you eating enough calories during the day? And three, you probably should have something right before you go to bed. So one of the things I started implementing is I have a protein shake before I go to bed. Like if I'm going to be asleep at eight o'clock, I have a protein shake at 745 to help prevent like a super low blood sugar drop at night. And it has made worlds of a difference. I have more energy. I'm not waking up starving. Like I was waking up so hungry that I was like, I need to eat a cow right now. Like I have less time waking up with less headaches. Like you, if you're waking up really that hungry, it like, takes me back to like my eating disorder days because that's like how I would feel when I would wake up. Like I'd have a headache and all these pieces. If you are waking up that way, you're under fueling. And please make a change. That's all I want to say about it. <laughs> have you ever experienced I, that though? Waking up so hungry. Um, when I am like getting back into training. I feel like, or when I'm kind of switching phases and going into more of a high intensity phase, um, and I'm not paying enough attention to what I'm doing, I will get it where I'm like very hungry going to bed and in the middle of the night, um, because I just, the, my hunger during the day hasn't caught up with the exercise mm -hmm. I'm doing. Um, so I, unless I'm like consciously thinking about, eating enough during the day um i'll get that but i don't get it often um i like eating so it's a hobby yeah. of mine <laughs> but i also think that's a good point like if you're finishing your sessions and i had a i had a chat with this about a different a different athlete last year she would finish her sessions and she would be so hungry like starving hungry to the point where she felt like she had to eat like an entire whole meal like immediately or she wasn't going to make it. And to, I told her, to me, what that's showing is that you're not feeling enough during your sessions. If you are that hungry, I mean, yes, you're, you do a six-hour ride, you are, you're going to go want to have a burger, like, right, I'm maybe semi-exaggerating, but you're going to be hungry. But you should be able to, like, have a protein shake or something along those lines and then go take a shower. Like, I'm not saying that you should, but you want to be able to fuel yourself to the point where you don't feel you need to eat your neighbor because you're so hungry. Yeah. And it, those, to me, those are signs that you're, you haven't nailed your nutrition and you need to look at it a little bit closer and that you need to fuel more across the board, like day to day and uh, <coughs> in your sessions rather than not, I guess. Um, but just, I think that as athletes, Fueling yourself is, is one of the best things that you can do for yourself to have energy, to not get sick, to execute, to perform. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh. Yeah. That was my rant, I guess. <laughs> but also it was, a, it was a really good learning for me because it was a huge change. Like having a protein shake before bed or something like a piece of toast with peanut butter. Um, has made a huge difference for me and being able to string together sessions. Yeah. Um, 
especially because I usually eat dinner around 6 p.m. Again, if you're now somebody who doesn't finish a session until 7.30 p.m. and you eat dinner and then you immediately go to bed, this may not pertain to you because you literally just ate dinner and then you went to bed. But I eat dinner around 6 and then I try to be asleep by 8. That means if I was to wait till breakfast, I may not be eating for 12 to 14 hours, depending on life. Yeah. That and is you're a not long time. trying to intermittent fast. That is Correct. not your goal. <laughs> That's not my goal. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. Awesome. Did you have, I think, did you have another question that got sent through? I can't remember. No. no. Okay. I, um, I have one more that I want to okay. talk about. If we were to, this is one I just was thinking of for some reason. Um, if we were to write a letter to ourselves 10 years ago, what do we say? What do we tell the 10 year, 10 year ago self of ours? However, that's worded. What would you so, say to yourself? I fake believed this for like five years because I just had to, to get through it. But I'd write to myself and tell myself, like, hard work does pay off. Keep believing it. Um, Because I went a long, 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 long time in my college swimming career um, without really feeling like that hard work ever paid off. I just wouldn't go best times. I, with the way I swam when I was like 15, I was swimming times that placed top eight in the conference college meets. And by the time I got to college and many surgeries later, I just wasn't there, but I could still work hard and practice and hit times I used to, but I'd get to a meet and it just wouldn't happen. Um, And I would tell myself, like hard work pays off. Just keep working hard. It will pay off one day. And I, after a while said like, maybe it's not paying off in the pool, but you're doing really well in school. So maybe it just translates over. Um, but now I think all that hard work I did in the pool created this phenomenal aerobic base that has led me to a lot of the success I've had early on in my triathlon career. And that hard work taught you the like the power of dedication and taught you the power, right? There's a lot that it taught you that you use yeah. to this day. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, definitely the discipline of it. Um, definitely one of I'm pretty damn disciplined from that. Um, I guess I'd also write to myself and let myself know that, like, this would be, I guess, how old am I now? Yeah. So 16, if I was writing to my 16-year-old stuff, I'd right go on that family vacation go to your friend's birthday party it will be okay if you miss a swim practice here and there yeah yeah i think that's awesome yeah look at you now 10 years later what would you write to yourself um i would tell myself to and stop being afraid to stand up for yourself Mm. and not be afraid to do what you need for you and in so blatant terms, F everyone else in a way. <laughs> Not really, but like, I don't actually mean that like in a mean way, but like, 
just be you, Kayla. Don't be afraid to be you and stand, you know, remove that that wall of what everybody doing, what everybody else, what you think everybody else wants you to do and do what you want to do and stand up for you and the pieces that you believe in. Um, and if you're willing to stand up for yourself, then you're a lot of, once you start believing and standing up for you, then the doors are going to open in every possible avenue that you've ever wanted them to open in. Um, cause I spent a lot of time doing what I believed other people wanted me to do and being, I'm, you know, I'm your stereotypical first child. Um, very like all the stereotypes, boom, me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I spent a lot of time being that stereotypical first child and it caused me to not do a lot of the pieces that a lot of things that I, I wanted to do or that I believed was better for me or I could do. Um, and once I finally like came to grips with that and just let it all go and started to do stand up for me and what I needed and not what I thought other people wanted me to do or what they were telling me or any of those things and just said, no, this is what I need. And if you can't get on board with it, then, you know, to an extent, so be it. That's when doors started opening for me. And that's when I started finding real passion with the things that I was doing. And that's what led me to being, having a lot more confidence, having a lot more belief. Right. And then that, like that continued to spiral. And so, Mm -hmm. um, that fits very nicely because 10 years ago is when I kind of made that started to make that shift. Um, yeah. I was, cause I would have been what 20, I'm 25, 34. So I would have been 34. Um, and I was just kind of in that brink of at, at 24, I was kind of trying, I was coming out of the fog, so to speak of, and it was a very scary, kind of a scary time frame. And I think I would just tell myself that stand up, Stand up, Kayla, because you stand up and it's going to be where you want to go. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's wow, it's weird to think, like, teach my kids that. Because since I put the age to it and, like, while you were talking, I was thinking about, like, myself at 16. The other thing I would have told myself, which is kind of funny, but kind of not, like, get psychiatric help the isis people in the stands of the swim practice are not yeah, real people are not yeah that's a fair thing yeah <laughs> which like for me uh when i was 16 i got really sick and had to take time off of swimming um and i started having really bad panic attacks because swimming was i had i guess that was how i took control of my life was just going to every single practice and working hard i think that when that was taken away um, the thing I knew was gone and I started to freak out and I didn't know how to express what I was feeling and what I was seeing, um, in my head to others. Like my mom for sure would have gotten me help if she, like I had, was able to express this, yeah. but I just wasn't, but that was a pretty, uh, miserable couple of years there because there'd be practices where I'd freak out and get out of the water and like run outside. Uh. Which, yeah, so not so being not being afraid to like tell that sixteen year old Aaron, help is okay. Yeah, don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah, and I think, <laughs> and I share that because I think it's important for people to ask for help because I think a lot of us 
are very into sport and are very into triathlon if you're listening to this podcast. Um, and in some ways, I think we can let it control our emotions in ways that we don't intend for it to do. Um, and when we notice a trend of that starting to happen, I think it's good just to talk it over with someone before it gets to a point where it's a real serious issue. Yeah, I agree. Because, I mean, at 23, I was only four, let's see, 20. I was only three years out of my eating disorder. I was 19, 20, kind of that time frame. Similar. Like, yeah. rather than trying to control, like, that was my, in reality, I was probably screaming for help. Yeah. But the only way I knew how to do that to con was to control what I was eating and to control, to control. Like I, I needed some form of control because I wasn't in control. Right. Similar, similar. Um, yeah. yours manifested from more of an anxiety standpoint and mine and, and manifested in an eating disorder that was 100% based off of me feeling so out of control. Cause I, I was not doing what I wanted to be do like doing not even yeah. wanted is the right word necessarily, but just what, where the path I, I felt strongest was, and I was doing everything for everybody else and what everybody else believed and not even what they believed, but what I thought they believed I should be doing. And the only way I knew how to control myself was, Hey, I'm going to control my food and my weight yeah. and then right that spirals. So yeah, yeah. help is okay. Help is There's great. No help is good. Yeah. That was a big one too, like when I became a mom, that I'm glad that I had kind of worked through a little bit because I was not afraid to ask for help. And in the sense of even, and this sounds silly, but like not afraid to put my kids in daycare because that was my form of help that allowed me to stand up for the pieces that I wanted to chase, the dreams I wanted to chase, you know? And now living close to my parents, like yesterday on our, I needed, I needed my, I needed help with the kids. I need somebody to pick the kids up so that I would have the amount of time that I needed. And so I asked, Hey mom, can you pick up the kids? Right. It's, it's a different version of help, but that's still like embracing my community and asking for help. There's nothing wrong yeah. with There's nothing Generally wrong with people want to help each other. Yeah. Most people are good people and they want to help others. Um, so yeah, never. Yeah. Be afraid to reach out to someone to help you out. Yeah. Because more than likely, if you feel comfortable enough reaching out to them, then you've built just enough of a rapport or comfort with them that, that you, they're, they're going to help you. Um, or even if you're not, I know if someone was to reach out to me asking questions, whether it be, hey, where do I find help with this? I'm going to do my absolute damnedest to point you in the right direction or, yeah. or help myself if I can. And if I can't, like I said, help refer across the board. Because um, that's what I needed when I had all my issues is somebody to help me. So, awesome. Well, yeah, that's kind of what we got for the week. We got a little we, deep at the end. <laughs> it ended serious there, didn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. We went serious there for a minute. <laughs> now I'm trying to think of a fun question. What's your favorite water bottle? This is a popular oh. question now, whether it be your like training water bottle or like, you know, 
the hype water bottles right now. Oh, yeah. I personally just love my I, – I have been – so I'm sponsored by Infinite, but I have been working with Infinite for eight years now using Infinite. And their water bottles are the best water bottles ever, and they're the ones I use. Not and other than those. that, I really don't care what kind of water bottle I've oh. got. I've got uh, I got all sorts of things here. I got two cans of <laughs> hold on, two cans of sparkling water, an energy drink. I do have a Stanley. I oh, know. I don't know if I like it or not. Honestly, it, it leaks and it annoys me. Um, ah. I have a Yeti. I'm a Yeti girl that I like, but it is it's so heavy and it's so it's heavy. So, uh, I usually just use normal old school water bottles, like straight up water bottle. That's what I like to use. I like my Yeti. I, I was, I did hydros through most of college, but they dent so bad at the bottom where it wouldn't even sit flat on a surface. Um, mm, and my Yeti dents significantly less than the hydro. Um, so I've become a Yeti girl. I have no interest in trying the Stanley. I definitely spill it. I like being able just to throw it on the couch or throw it on the bed and not worry about having it linked. The Walla seems nice, but I, I don't need that complication. I'm happy with my Yeti. Yeah. I grew up in the Nalgene era. I'm uh, also yes. from Oregon. So we, uh, and, Nalgenes were a thing. In college, <laughs> I had a Nalgene. I would take two parties with me. And fill it up to 12 ounces with vodka and fill the rest with orange juice. Ew. (laughs) Oh, so you've seen the, like, post up when you're 21 going around? Uh, Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, man. That sent me back. (laughs) (laughs) I feel like I'm still too close to 21 to do one of those. Like, You are. You're basically 21. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I've, my maturity level's gone up, but I like to think I don't look that much older. I I look the same. I just look a lot more tired. <laughs> a lot more tired. Yeah. There's dark circles now, and I'm a lot more tired. But I feel that, like I, I can tell where I'm going to have wrinkles now. Like, I posted that picture yesterday after my ride, and the salt really brought out the uh, happy smile lines in my eyes. Mm. See, <laughs> I like, love the happy smile lines. My mom doesn't <laughs> like them, but I like them. Yeah. No. So that might be yeah. an issue one day. <laughs> no. So, yeah, I'm a... So water bottles. Yeah, I'm old school. Right, but I've always been. I dress like a grandma. I've always dressed like a grandma. Legitimately. I went When I was looking back at pictures, if you look back at pictures, I was the girl that was wearing jeans a sweatshirt and a puffy vest boom and guess what what do i still wear everybody <laughs> sweatshirt and a puffy vest i have a changed. stylist i talked to is trying to get me to wear less black so that's well, that's dumb something. <laughs> <laughs> it's something i'm black is a main main a state color i have tried to venture and i've despised venturing I, uh, when you look at my closet, it makes sense. So I'm I'm working on it. My main thing, though, is, like, I learned why I hate myself in every outfit I put on, and it's because I only own high-waisted jeans, and I have a short torso. So it it looks funny because my boobs are at, like, the waist of the jean. So (laughs) 
Now talk about grandma. That is grandma. <laughs> so you're so, you're a fan of the low rise jeans coming mid rise. Mid rise. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Why we ever wore low rise jeans is beyond I'm not, me. I have too much head for <laughs> complete low rise. I am definitely a high waisted person, but I have an extraordinarily long torso. Um and but I also have very high hip bones. So like unless it's high waisted, it's like too much just hip bones everywhere. It's <laughs> not attractive. So welcome to our styling podcast. Um, as we both sit here, I'm wearing a crew neck sweatshirt that uh honestly has stains on it, and Aaron has a race t-shirt on. Um, which I also have on underneath. So uh, we are prime for styling consultants. If anybody needs help, please contact us. I am about to put makeup on and do my hair because Kyle's taking me out for a birthday dinner. So with that note, I haven't worn makeup in about 10 years. (laughs) That's a lie. I wore makeup to my sister's wedding. Oh, yeah. And my wedding. And I guess I haven't been married 10 years yet. So uh, there you go. Apparently that's what it takes to, for me to put makeup on. It's a wedding? Uh, it's a wedding. I also haven't worn a normal bra in about 10 years. So I'm, 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 I'll just, I'm full of stylish, stylish tips here. Occasion. Honestly, though, like, sometimes I put on a real bra and I, like, it takes me back because I forget that I have boobs. Because I wear sports bras all the time, and it just compresses them, and then I'll put on a real bra, and it's like, you actually have decent-sized boobs, and, like, I don't necessarily like it all the time, because it's not how I see myself all the time. Well, and see, I'm the opposite problem. I have no boobs, and when I wear a normal bra, it's just, like, you can stick, like, a whole fist in there. (laughs) (laughs) What's the point of the bra? (laughs) Oh man! You're welcome, if everybody, you more, for our witless if banter. You want more styling content? Send us questions on Instagram. Yes, we'll be happy to yes, them please for do. You. Well, if you have lasted this long in the podcast, thank you for following along. If you have the opportunity, <laughs> we would appreciate a positive review on uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify, as it just has does help to press pause or pass along our amazing content that we share with you guys that includes styling tips and uh, water bottles. <laughs> In all seriousness, though, please do leave us a review. It does help for yeah. us. Um, and send us any and- questions you have. We love answering questions. I guess they don't do. really have to be triathlon. <laughs> send us whatever. <laughs> they do not we'll have to be triathlon related. Yeah. We will blab <laughs> along and share our con- our. Best guess at anything that we can. Um, we are here to, yeah, hopefully give you guys a little bit of entertainment and share our passion and all that stuff for the sport. So we'll be back next week. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. Yay.